0: Helping Families Be Happy.
1: Well, welcome to the Helping Families Be Happy podcast, where we explore the often messy world of family, love, and relationships. I'm your host for this podcast, Christopher Robbins, the co founder of Familius Publishing, husband, father of nine, author, fly fisherman, backpacker, and aspirational musician based in the Central Valley of California. We hope to bring you nourishing, real-life information about love, family, relationships, and life. I'm happy to introduce today's guest, Dr. Carla Marie Manley. Now, Carla Marie Manley is a practicing clinical psychologist, author, and advocate who makes her home in Santa Rosa, California, utilizing a mindfulness-based holistic approach. Dr. Manley focuses on helping others achieve joy and balance from the inside out. Dr. Manley is the author of multiple books, including Joy from Fear, Creating the Life of Your Dreams by Making Fear Your Friend, Date Smart, Transform Your Relationships and Love Fearlessly, and Aging Joyfully, A Woman's Guide to Optimal Health, Relationships, and Fulfillment for Her 50s and Beyond. Now, today we're exploring aging joyfully, which falls into the Femilius love together habit, as we should learn to love ourselves throughout our lives. You can learn more about the Femilius 10 Habits of Happy Families by going to the Habit Hub blog on Femilius.com. But now, welcome, Carla. Thank you for joining us.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. Thank you.
1: It's a pleasure to have you. Now, this is a little ironic because we're speaking today about aging joyfully, and your book is specifically um, targeted towards women. So is there a problem with me as a man uh, facilitating this conversation? Can I add anything?
0: (laughs) Absolutely, you can, because Aging Joyfully is one of those books that I think people of every gender can benefit from. And truly women, because we start having aging concerns, unfortunately, as early as our, you know, mid-20s, I think women have every age can really learn a lot about the book from from the book and i also believe that men you know people of every gender because our issues are so much the same and so when we look at aging joyfully whether you are a male who's reading it to better understand your your female partner or you're a female partner you're in a reading it to better understand yourself or a female partner in your life there is so much in it that is about aging well from the inside out. So I talk about, you know, issues, um, everything from plastic surgery and, and care of your skin, the more superficial things, some people might say, and to the really important long-term things like finding your life's purpose. So you can see that all of those issues are not about a particular gender. And in fact, I really believe that almost every issue in the book, including things like incontinence and sexuality, are something that are not gender specific. We all, no matter what age we are in life, we face physiological issues and mental issues that really aren't gender specific.
1: Well, thanks for thanks for doing that. And I wanna come back to what women need to know about the men in their life and what men need to know about the women in their life um, and vice versa as we, as we kind of get to the end of this. But I, I did want to mention this, that Erica Manfred, the author of I'm Old, So Why Aren't I Wise, <laughs> said about your book, Aging Joyfully, that you illuminated the unexpected delights of aging while offering expert insights into navigating aging challenges. So let's, let's first focus on the positives. I'm curious, what are these unexpected delights of aging that you might be referring to?
0: <laughs> you know, I work with people of all ages and it's one of my great joys and really a privilege that people let me in to the most intimate places of their lives, places they don't share with their best friends or their partners or, you know, anyone else. And so what I do, for example, in my case studies, I, of of course, cloak the name and identity of the person. But what I found that some of the joys, whether they're men or women, right, um, that we are finding that people who get past child rearing years or toward the end of the child rearing years they are waking up to a completely different part of their lives they may have been so busy good being good providers good moms good dads good you know workaholics whatever they were that they wake up and they say oh my goodness i'm 40 or i'm 50 or i'm 60 and I'm just finding out who I am because now I have the time and the energy to get to know me. Now, this is really an interesting piece of it. So many people, in fact, a a woman I'll be working with later today, she's one that really reminds me when she'll say she's, you know, well into her midlife and she will say things like, you're helping me find myself. I've never known myself. This is so amazing. Each day I wake up, I'm finding out more about who I am and who it was meant to me. Talk about the joys of aging. And had she not been through this first very difficult period of her life, and her story is not unique, mind you. I mean, it is, of course, unique to her. But what I mean is the threads of that conversation arise for so many people who are wanting to be or already are self-aware, and then we realize, oh my goodness, I'm just beginning to get to know who I am, and so I think that that's one of the biggest joys of aging.
1: So do you think, I mean, obviously as children, we're learning, we're growing, there's so much discovery to happen. We hit our teen years, we're still doing that. We hit our adult years, education, career um, relationships and, and and then some child rearing. And then we we get to this stage and maybe we're, maybe we're in our late 40s, 50s, 60s. Um, is there still a, a lot of discovery for an individual? I mean, it, hasn't that already happened by the time they hit 50?
0: <laughs> it's such a good question. And absolutely not. For so many people now i must give kudos to um gen z and millennials they seem to be far more willing to embrace self-discovery and mindfulness and intentional learning and growing and that absolutely i just am thrilled about that because prior generations we did not um make it we had stigmatized mental health issues we had stigmatized self exploration as being only for the you know flower children or the the bohemians in life and now we're realizing and at least for me in my doctoral program I chose a jungian based program and that is very focused on individuation and self exploration and self discovery and what you know I can say I can speak you know for my own being i pray that there is never a day that i wake up and don't learn something new or many things new about myself about the planet about you know my my husband there's just so much so i believe that the journey of self exploration maybe for millennials and for gen z maybe my prayer is that they begin that early in life but what i've definitely found is many people who are you know older millennials or baby boom population that they're just beginning to find out who they are. And as they realize that they are not their profession, they are not their their name, they are not their weaknesses, their stumbles, their, you know, whatever it is that there is something inside here, their spirituality, their soul that is just waiting to be explored an entirely different part. And so for many people who have been very career based and success based and all of those things are important. But to me and the work I do, it's this work that is always there to teach us, always to teach us. We just think we're doing something really wonderful and then we get a shot in the arm of humility. And um, I think that that's absolutely spectacular. So it really can lead to our stumbles to me are our greatest learning opportunities. And I've certainly learned far more from my stumbles in life from my successes. And that's part of the work that I do with people is I help them really see that their stumbles, whether they're little ones or big ones, are learning opportunities. And so no shame, no blame. Don't spend your time guilt tripping. Spend your time saying, gosh, here's what happened. What could I do better next time? What could I bring to the table differently? And doing that kind of work in their relationships. And so to me, again, that's one of the benefits of being able to do work at any time in life. But particularly if you're blessed enough to have the luxury of a little more space and time in your you know, later years, whether it's midlife or after that, to really get to know yourself and use Anything that's happened to you in life, good or not so good, to learn more about who you are and who you want to be.
1: Right. I love that. You know, and it reminds me of what uh, Warren Buffett said. We might have quoted this already on the on the famous podcast before, but it, you know, he's the Oracle of Omaha, one of the greatest investors of all time, and a very wise man. Uh, not to suggest that investing makes one successful or one happy, but he seems to be a very well grounded man, and and he's in his late eighties. And what he said was. That you should before you retire every day, um, you should have tried to learn something new. And he said that that learning something new every day really really helps you as you progress through your your life. Um, well, let's just talk about age for a second. I'm curious is um, is there a difference between uh, in your study between chronological age and perhaps emotional age or real age? <laughs>
0: Another really fabulous question. So I believe that chronological age is just a number. And so for me, I'm not really big on chronological age. You could ask me, you know, how old I am. I'd be saying, well, why does that matter? Don't you want to know who I am? Do you want to know how much I weigh as well, right? And same thing when we look at, you know, younger people. I don't want to look at a younger person and say, how old are you? I want to say, who are you? Tell me about you. What makes you tick, right? So chronological age, I think, is simply a number, just like a scale weight is a number. It's really meaningless unless unless we contextualize it so for example i work with lots of people as i've said and i might meet someone who's 60 who has the emotional maturity of a seven-year-old and i might meet someone and i'm definitely blessed this way to meet people in their 20s who have the soul quality and the emotional intelligence of a wise elder And so I really look at it's not about how long you've been on the planet, what your chronological number it is, but what have you done with your years on the planet? And that's not meant in a judgmental way, because many of us are brought up in environments where self growth and self development simply aren't on the table, you don't know they exist. And maybe you're not exposed to it. So for me, it's about when you are exposed to how to become a fuller person, what are you doing with that? and so, so I hope that answers your question that, again, it's not chronological age. I'm looking at what is your age as far as being a joyful, different from happy, from being a joyful, fulfilled human being.
1: Yeah. Thank you for that. So I know you've touched on this a little bit already, but I wanted to come back to it. And that is, you know, we, we've all lived a certain number of years. And you mentioned, you know, we make, we've made mistakes. You know, we've had situations that we weren't happy with. How can we, without remorse, look back um, on our own mistakes and experiences while still looking forward to this unknown future? You know, how how can you balance that? How, How do you help your clients with that?
0: Another really good and deep question. So I am not a believer personally in blame or guilt. And here's why. I think that blame doesn't really serve anyone. If I blame you or blame her, really what I would be better off doing, what we are better off doing is saying, hey, this didn't work for me. Let's find a way to improve the situation. Then I look at guilt, which is tied to, you know, you're talking about remorse. I think guilt is important for one reason. If, and I always use this example with my clients, I say, if you stole a candy bar from a store, guilt would pop up and say, "Uh uh-oh, bad mistake. Take the candy bar back, tell the owner you made a mistake, and make amends. Give money to the Salvation Army, you know, buy a a homeless person a candy bar, you know, do something to make amends, and then leave it be. Once you learn the lesson and make amends, let it be be. Do not let it haunt you. Do not haunt another person if they have made amends. So to me, it's really about learning from that experience, vowing not to do it again to yourself and to somebody you may have hurt, making amends and moving forward. So again, you can see that forgiveness is tied to this, that it's about forgiving the self and forgiving others. And some people confuse forgiving others they don't want to forgive others because they're afraid the injury will help will, will happen again so you've betrayed me and I forgive you you'll betray me again not necessarily I can forgive you and forgive you for harming me I'm not talking about you specifically Christopher I'm just talking about you know anyone because you, you've, you've not harmed me but um, but the point is is that if we say oh i see you've harmed me you've betrayed me and i forgive you and sending that into the universe into you know the divine to god and feeling that lightness in me of not carrying resentment or or a grudge right and if you can't make amends to me and show me that you will not harm me again i'm talking about you know somebody who has betrayed me then i can still forgive you I just may have a very strong boundary around how close I let you get to my emotional world and my physical world. And that's how I work with clients. And I work from that paradigm of really slowing down. And I'm not saying you want to force forgiveness of yourself or someone else, but if you're not able to forgive, it's about doing that work to see where is that lack of forgiveness coming from? Where is that need to be you know, steeped in resentment or blame coming from? And then we kind of dig that out or work on it because I look at um, almost every life experience, if not every life experience, as an opportunity to grow. And so if I'm carrying resentment, it's harmful to me, it's harmful to you you, the person I'm in relationship with. And if I'm resenting myself or stuck in what I did wrong in the past, it's only causing me anxiety and stress and depression. So again, that's, that's the formula I use in working with clients is I give that example of the candy bar and then we work through whatever their issue is to find the lesson to work on getting toward forgiveness of the self or others. And then if necessary, creating really strong boundaries so that that forgiveness that comes that we don't make the same error again. or allow that to happen to us again
1: i I really appreciate that uh a response about my question it seems it seems maybe you can correct me it seems like so much of what we learn as children is applicable for the rest of our lives and we often we tend to forget what we learned before we were five years
0: old oh christopher What a question. You're, you're jumping ahead into my fourth book.
1: <laughs> well, let's not go there then. Let me ask you a different
0: thing. It's okay. I'll answer it in a quick way. If you were raised in a good enough environment where your parents were attuned to you most of the time, of course you've learned good life lessons that you can likely carry with you for the rest of your life however for many people they did not learn good life lessons or a good life lesson was put here but the parent was living differently over here so the parent saying you know don't steal and the parent's stealing or the parent's saying don't use drugs, but the parent's using drugs. So all of that conflict. So yes, if you are the person who is fortunate enough to have healthy behavior modeled for you, then absolutely those life lessons are applicable and can be pulled upon and used for the rest of your life.
1: So let's talk about joy. So you, you use the word joyfully. So I think we all understand what aging means. We 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 can't escape it, even though many of us try to figure out how to reverse it. And the industry that supports the idea of euthanine um, is is a multi-billion dollar industry. But what does it mean? Why did you choose the word joyfully? And what does that mean for you?
0: Okay, so my first book with Familius, I just love the book, is Joy from Fear, so it used joy, and Aging Joyfully uses joy, and what the common thread is, this is, I came up with this concept and I use it a lot, that we all, and joy is different from happiness, so pleasure is feeling good from doing something that feels good, eating good ice cream, you know, being cuddled by a partner, that gives us pleasure, happiness is also externally dependent. I'm happy because you smiled at me. I'm happy because I got a great paycheck. I'm happy because, you know, I cleaned the house. Um, Those are more externally dependent. Joy is something different. And this is my way of explaining joy, that we are all born with a beautiful inner light this lovely little votive candle, that's what I like to see it as, just this little beautiful burning glowing candle and we see this in young ones, we see that joy, it's just there, it's natural and then we come out, we're born and we put that candle in a little glass container and then life brings us traumas, it brings us struggles, it brings us stresses and so soot builds up in that little candle and it builds up and it builds up in the the glass container, mind you. And if we have good enough parenting, they teach us to pay attention and to wipe off the soot and everything will be okay. And here's how we can do better. But for those who either aren't taught that or forget because life gets very busy and very stressful, we forget to wipe off all that buildup of trauma, of negative news, of mean pokes at us, of life stressors and challenges. And so we think, oh, where'd my joy go? Where'd my happy go? And society says, oh, it's over here. Buy more. Press buy now. Oh, it's over here. You know, eat more, drink more, use this, use that, take this pill, take that pill, then you'll be happy. What they're forgetting to me, is the essence of life, which is, wait a second, you have joy right in here. It's that candle. Let's take that that votive candle. Let's take that glass and let's wipe away the soot very carefully and very mindfully, and you will find your joy. It's been there all along. And so let's bring that to aging joyfully. I think that part of aging joyfully is, as you said, our society teaches us Look prettier, look more handsome, get more of this, get more of that, and then you'll be happy, and then you'll age joyfully because you have, you know, this or that car, or this done to your face, or that done to your ears, or this done to your whatever, right? And we forget that, yeah, some of those things might make you feel good, and that's not good or bad. It might make you feel good, but that ha- that that happy is also good because we want to be happy. But that joy, the one that is with us forever. And it's, to me, it's like that godlike, divine feeling of, yes, and so we can find that. And when we have that, all that stuff out there really doesn't matter so much. Yes, it's nice to have enough money to have a roof over our heads and to feel, you know, safe and have, you know, clothes that are comfy and all of that, but most of the time we get distracted by it and we get distracted by society and we forget to tend to our joy so if we learn how to tend to our joy that is one of the gifts that can come with the with the more with the increased amount of time we have as we get older because we have let's hope more time to polish off all of that buildup and to teach others who are younger than us how to polish and to get their their buildup off so that we can make life the planet earth um Feel more joyful and safe for everyone.
1: Yeah, that's that's very helpful. I, you know, I can I can see at least a, an article on the familiarist blog, or maybe even another book called "Pleasure, Happiness, Joy: How to Live the Abundant Life."
0: <laughs> oh, oh, my goodness! I love that. <laughs> well, okay, we'll have to write that down. <laughs> but yes, it's when I've yes, and that's because there is so much. Abundance and it gives me chills because sometimes I'll be working with a client and I'll say, Well, you know, I want you to go. And I love giving homework because I don't want clients to be tethered to me forever, right? I want to give them the tools, which is why I write my books the way I do. I give tools in my books, right? That way you can do therapy on yourself if 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 you have the wherewithal. But I'll say something like, you know, I want you to go for a walk and just appreciate nature, just listen to the sounds and the abundance. And I will have clients say, oh, it's so boring. And I think, ah, okay. So there's the work right there. That if we cannot see the abundance around us, the abundance of nature, the abundance of a, you know, a sky and water and all of those things, then it it becomes a circle of anxiety and depression because we're not seeing the abundance that's not only right in front of us, but the abundance that is ours to care for. Stewards. Yes. I love that word as steward. Yes.
1: Word. Okay. A couple more questions. Um, So you talk about wisdom and grace. Now I I learned um, years ago that uh, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit and wisdom is knowing not to put that in the fruit cell. So when you talk about wisdom and you talk about grace, Just help us understand what that means in terms of of aging.
0: I agree with you 100%. In our world today, so many people are able to spout off facts. And I'm not a very, that does not, if you know all of the baseball and football stats and what the stock market's doing, I'm very, not very impressed. It just does not. To me, that's not wisdom, it's facts, it's intellectual data. And so to me, wisdom is about knowing what is right, not as in right or wrong. Wisdom is about knowing what is best, right? And so I can have the intelligence to create the world's most wonderful vehicle but it takes true, that's, that would be intelligence. It would take true wisdom to be able to say, how will this help the planet? What are the pros, what are the cons? Let me think about the impact this will have on my children and my children's children. And so some might call me a Luddite and I probably am because I think we really have lost our wisdom. We are so in the pursuit of intelligence and facts and, capturing more that we are on the verge of losing our sacred planet and many many people who are very intelligent have very little capability within their relationships or their relationship to their divine and and to caring for the planet that gives us life that's not wisdom and so i really think i'm that it may sound harsh and i'm not trying to be judgmental, but I am saying that we must cultivate our wisdom to see the impact we have on ourselves, the impact we have on other people, and the impact we have on our planet. And it's as simple as something like pornography, right? Looking at something like that and saying, well, this might be tempting. Lots of intelligent people may use but is it wise what would it do to my relationship with myself what would it do to my relationship with my significant other what would it do to the person that I am observing on this camera what is their life like so that's an example to me of how we use wisdom wisdom is also something as simple as a purchase do I need to buy a box of plastic disposable baggies or disposable this or that. Well, intelligence says it's $1.99, why not? Wisdom says, hmm, that will end up in a landfill somewhere. And maybe that's not the wisest choice for myself or my planet. And so to me, those are just little examples of everyday wisdom that we all have the capacity to slow it down and say, what is best? what is right here, again, not right or wrong, but what is best, what is healthy, what is beneficial? To me, that is the art of wisdom.
1: Well, and as we age, we hope to use the experiences that we've had throughout our life to make wise choices for the benefit of ourselves, yes. our families, the, the communities in which we live, the planet in which we inhabit. So that's, that's very helpful. Okay, now one last question before we go. So we're running out of time, but as, as the host um, and as a male, I'm going to use my prerogative to ask this question. So we started at the beginning. So your, your book is specifically, it's written to women, but you've expanded beyond that in terms of this podcast. You say, with a nod to the men in our lives, it is important to remember that they too often have substantial age-related fears. Is there anything unique? that those of us who are men should know, and what about the women in our lives? What advice do you have for them as they interact with men who just don't look like they did 30 years ago?
0: Okay, so shoot, the looks thing. I am not, I have learned, and this is again, one of the benefits of being, you know, having aged, that I am very aware that what is attractive is soul quality, not somebody's physical being. And so when I meet people, I'm really looking for soul, soul quality. So whether somebody has hair of a certain color or this or that, or they're 10 pounds underweight or 10 pounds overweight or 20, but right, it's far less important to me than is somebody healthy and are they a kind, good person? So I think as we age, we tend to learn, let's hope as we mature and and emotionally mature, that we are less invested in somebody's physical qualities and more in their, um, emotional mental and spiritual qualities because those are the enduring ones now if somebody that we love is not taking care of themselves and they're letting themselves go and we're afraid for their health because they're over drinking over using substances you know that sort of thing then absolutely but what would i say to someone is instead of criticizing your partner partner up with them Say, ah, you know, I love you and you look gorgeous and you're wonderful and, you know, you're the love of my life. And I'm a little concerned that I might lose you 10 years prematurely if, you know, we don't both get fit together. You know, let's figure out a practice we can engage in together where we can be fit together rather than pointing a finger and making that person feel defective or wrong. Because really, if you love someone, all that you really want is for them to be healthy and fit and joyful. And the other thing that I would say to men and women, but I see this most with men, In later life, women tend to pause somewhere around their 40s and they look at their partners and they're they're knocking on the door of the relationship and saying, I miss you, I love you, I feel lonely. You know, we've raised the kids and now I don't know who you are and you don't know who, who I am. Or, you know, I've let all of these bad resentments and habits build up and please go to therapy with me. Please do work with me. I want you to be my partner. And more often than not, Even in early relationships, the man will say, no, I am not doing that. I am self-sufficient. Nothing is wrong with me. And every time that this ends in divorce, which it often does, the man comes back and says, please take me back. I'm willing to do the work now. And the woman has moved on. She is too tired. She is too angry. She is too done. And she moves on. So, for any man listening, and I have to give a nod to a familiar author that I interviewed. Um, I'm blanking on his name. He's the one where the book looks like a baseball home run or just like. What?
1: <laughs>
0: anyway, it's a, it's a familiar book on fatherhood. And the author said to me, he's a man, and it's about fatherhood, and he's probably in his mid-30s, and he's a lovely gentleman. And he said to me, every man should want therapy in his marriage. Therapy is a must in every relationship, in every marriage. It's a must. I wish I had known that five years ago. And I said, "Thank you so much." And I even told him, "I said, make sure you make that your platform. Make sure you will have women buying your book, even though it's oriented toward men. You know, because it is so important." And I've used him as an example, I'm not using his name when I because I, you know I don't like to give away names, but it's probably why I can't remember it right now. But um, and every time I tell couples that story. The woman is saying, oh, please, please. I hope he does some huge advertisement on that, please. And so um, I think it's so important for men to realize um, the world's best dad during and after divorce. It's not that one. It's the playbook. It's the father's playbook. Do you oh, know the one I'm talking?
1: Right, that one That one is not out yet. It's coming out in January. It's,
0: okay, that's why it's oh, It's not. It's, it's not on my...
1: For our listeners, it's
0: called yes. Rookie Father. Rookie, the Rookie Father, that's it. And it's yeah. not on my bookshelf. I have my familiar books lined up back there because I'm so proud of them. And I love, I love my publisher. <laughs> and so when you look at someone who's coming out and saying that, and when I give that example to couples, the wisdom are saying, the women are saying, oh my goodness, please spread the word. Please spread the word. So if I have a message for men about aging joyfully... I didn't care if you're 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, or beyond. Therapy is not a curse. It is a blessing. And as a therapist, I personally take it as a great privilege when people bring their issues to me and want to work on them. Because I can tell you what, in a world where you have two people who are both interested in loving each other and making their relationship better, magic happens. Magic happens because so it's not that it's a curse to be in therapy it's a blessing and it takes great courage to go into therapy and a great deal of work and perseverance and to me it is one of the most wonderful blessings on the planet so if you go and you spend your money on a new car or a new computer or new this or a new that that's only going to give you temporary pleasure Why not spend some money on some really good therapy and increase your joy, something that is eternal, increase your emotional awareness, increase your connection. And if you're facing fears around that, they're just fears. And our fears are messengers of what we need to face in life to become more whole human beings. And like I said, you know, early on in the interview, I didn't think I'll ever be whole. I have a lifetime of learning to do. And what a joy it is to wake up every day and find one tiny little fragment of who I am that allows me to be a better person. And it's the same with my husband, you know, working with him so that we can constantly be finding little parts of each other and ourselves that make us better people, better partners and better members of the planet.
1: Yeah. Well, that is, again great counsel. And, you know, probably all of this, if not, not everything can be found in in this book, Aging Joyfully. So uh, Dr. Manley, and I call you Carla, thank you so much for your time. Now, where can our guests find you online?
0: Our guests can find me. So for those of you who are watching here, it's Aging Joyfully. And um, so it's available Familius. It's also available wherever um, fine, fine books are sold. uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, but again, Familius has all of the books available. You can also go to my website, drcarlamanley.com and it's d-r-c-a-r-l-a manley.com Same for Facebook, same for Twitter, same for Instagram. I have a great Instagram feed. And so um, also on our podcasts. So I am just a big believer in doing what we can. And if anything in this sounded overwhelming to you, please don't be overwhelmed. Self-growth happens for all of us. One step, one drop, um, one, one little day at a time. As
1: we conclude today's podcast, I'd like to thank Familius for its support in bringing this podcast to your ears and your heart. And just Carla happens to be the other host of the, of the Familius podcast, the Helping Families Be Happy podcast. So you'll hear her voice on other podcasts you listen to. We'd be thrilled if you subscribed to the podcast and left us a review on iTunes and social media. And when you're ready for that next amazing book adventure, we'd be honored if you chose a book from Familius. One step at a time, we can make the world a happier place.
0: We talk together, learn together, play, work, eat together. We laugh together.